Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and I am your host, your guide, and your biggest cheerleader on your unlearning journey. The Unlearning Podcast is all about helping you learn to love Jesus and your neighbor through healthy, life-giving Christian theology. For anyone new to the show, my name is Ashley, and I'm a Cuban-American, a graduate of Claremont School of Theology, a wife, a mother, and I live on Kumash Tonva land, currently known as Los Angeles. I've been on parental leave from my day job these last few weeks, and it's been a wonderful experience getting to know my daughter and spending time with her. I've taken her all around town to several parks and bookstores and garden shops and to our community pool. I am so, so grateful for the privilege of spending time with Ruth Allen. It means so much to be here with her full time in these early days. I thought I would be so much more productive with all of this time off from work, but I quickly learned that life with a five-month-old is unpredictable and that I have to pick and choose what gets done. And so I haven't been able to do a lot of writing in the past few months, but I do hope to get back to creating regular content for this show in the coming weeks. I have been able to do a lot of reading in the past few months during nap time. Nap times have given me the opportunity to fly through several wonderful books. One book in particular was this book called The Rebirthing of God by John Philip Newell. In this book, Newell writes about changing our understanding of God in light of the massive decline of church attendance. He argues that we have to let go of some older ideas about God if we are going to be of any good to the 21st century world. I learned so much from reading Newell's book, and so I want to share some of the things I learned in order to challenge you on how you think about God, yourself, and this world, and to hopefully provide some food for thought as you consider your own unlearning journey. In his chapter on compassion, Newell wrote about Aung San Suu Kyi, this incredible 78-year-old woman who was a leader of the nonviolent movement for democracy in Burma. Sukhui, who is often described as Burma's Gandhi, won the Nobel Prize for her advocacy work for peace. In his book, The Rebirthing of God, Newell wrote, and I quote, that Sukhui has compassion for her people, and she has compassion for her people in their suffering. But her commitment to compassion also extends to the leaders of Burma's military dictatorship, to those who have wronged her family and her nation. End quote. Sukui's example makes me think about Jesus' call to love your enemies. I never considered loving our enemies as part of compassion. I always saw loving our enemies as about being about forgiveness, not compassion, not connecting with someone suffering. But Sukui's work demonstrates that to love one's enemies is to connect with why our enemies have become who they are, to seek to understand why people are the way they are. And if you think about it, how can you possibly sustain a love for your enemies if you do not seek to understand why they are acting the way they are? If you don't seek to read between the lines and try to see beneath or beyond their behavior. Newell also points out that the root word for compassion is compass. See, I didn't know that. That was really interesting to me. Newell describes a compass as a tool, and I quote, used to determine the relationship between two points. 
And I know we know, all know what a compass is, but understanding it that way is, is helping us find the relationship, the distance between two points, between two people is really insightful. If we are to love our enemies out of compassion, if we are to love anyone out of compassion, we need to figure out how we are similar to them, how, if given the same set of circumstances, we might act the same way. This is what it means to determine the relationship between ourselves and others. Newell went on to write, and I quote, that compassion is about honoring the relationship between two people and remembering those who suffer. It is about making the connection between the heart of my being and the heart of yours and following that connection. And just as we follow the compass descending the mist covered mountain, even if we are filled with doubts as to whether we are moving in the right direction. End quote. I love that. What does it mean for us to have compassion on people, even if we don't know what will come of it? What does it mean to feel someone's pain, to see their hurt, and to take action to help them when we really don't know how it will affect ourselves or them? What does it mean for us to have compassion on ourselves, even if we don't know how we're going to feel later or what will happen because of it? Siu Ki once said that human life is infinitely precious. And I know that we all kind of know that, but she explains it as compassion is about remembering that human life is infinitely precious and allowing ourselves to see that again and again. End quote. Human life is infinitely precious. I believe that. Not just when we're young, like a five-month-old baby girl, but human life is infinitely precious even when we are older or trans or poor or can offer no value to the company that we work for. Human life is infinitely precious even for the lives of people who hurt us, who try to take away our rights or who actively cause harm. How do we see other people as precious if we don't work towards developing our compassion for them? If we don't work towards understanding why they are the way they are? I think sometimes the pain that people cause can be so bad and so traumatic that one's priority really needs to be self-compassion. We sometimes need to disconnect from hurtful people out of self-compassion and to trust that God will provide someone else, someone less affected by their actions to do the work of compassion. I don't think we are all called to stay connected to people who cause us debilitating harm, especially if it makes our lives worse. Boundaries are a good thing. Boundaries are sometimes compassion. When I think about Jesus and compassion, I think about when Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think about Jesus' compassion for his enemies when he was on the cross and he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I also think about my friends. One of my closest friends used to work at a church in downtown Los Angeles. She has a huge heart for the unhoused community. Her compassion for women caught in addiction and poverty was so inspiring. Sometimes hearing her talk about her care for these women was like hearing Jesus talk. I also have a friend who fosters children. She and her husband's willingness to provide a safe haven for children as their parents attempt to rehabilitate their lives is so selfless and kind. It reminds me of the selfless love of Christ. Newell asks readers, do we know that we carry within us for one another the blessing of God? Do we know that the springs of compassion 
deep within us can flow again. If you read Newell's words carefully, you'll see a very different theology about humanity than what is preached in most evangelical churches. As evangelicals, we are taught to believe that within us is a great capacity for sin, and that our entire Christian life is to be an experience in mortifying that sin. Remember the phrase, be killing sin or sin will be killing you? If you grew up with that kind of thinking, I want to encourage you to consider Newell's words. Do you know that you carry within you the blessing of God for other people? Do you know that the springs of compassion deep within you can flow again? Sue Key once said, and I quote, that those who are doing nothing to improve the world have no hope for it, end quote. That's so true, isn't it? Those who do nothing to improve their communities, their churches, their political world around us, even their families, have no hope for it. This kind of hope is rooted in action. Newell explained that when we act with compassion, even if we perform the simplest of compassionate deeds, we recognize that the unjust wrongs that create suffering in our world are not an indelible feature of reality. End quote. In other words, when we act with compassion, we are affirming that suffering is not an enduring feature of reality. Things can change, and they must. I write and produce this podcast because I believe there is hope and freedom and a new life outside of the oppressive theological atmosphere of the evangelical church. I produce this podcast out of compassion for people who feel threatened and fearful of stepping away from evangelicalism who can't imagine God outside of the hellfire and brimstone they inherited. I produce this podcast because I believe everyone deserves to feel and to experience the unconditional love of God, regardless of what they do and do not believe. Having a daughter, I often think about what it was like for me as a kid. I remember being a closeted child, a closeted teenager, a young adult, and how hard and hopeless that felt. Never in my wildest imagination could I have ever imagined living out loud, marrying my wife and having the most beautiful baby girl. That verse Paul wrote to the Ephesian church about God blessing us beyond anything we could ask or imagine has come true a hundredfold in my life. And I believe that verse is true for anyone reaching for the blessing of God, reaching for change, having self-compassion and compassion for others. Compassion includes the courage to act to live out what we believe to be true for ourselves and others. Before I close this episode, I want to leave you with this final thought from Newell. He wrote, and I quote, The role of true prophets is to point beyond themselves to the work that we are all destined to be part of. End quote. I love that. My prayer is that I would become this kind of true prophet, but also that you would too, in your own life and in your own God-ordained way, My friend who has a big heart for the unhoused women in downtown Los Angeles, she is a kind of prophet who points to the work I must do in my attitude and actions, in my lack of compassion for my suffering sisters. My friends who foster children point to the work I must do to love and support other parents who might be struggling to care for their children and to be a part of supporting those, even financially, who foster others. The role of a true prophet is to point beyond ourselves to the work that we are all destined to be part of. If the word prophet throws you, use another word. Perhaps you could just replace it with Christian. The role of a true Christian is to point beyond ourselves to the wonderful work that we are all destined to do. 
I hope you found today's podcast to be helpful to you and a blessing to you throughout your week. Until next time, my name is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and you are listening to the Unlearning Podcast. <laughs>